gentle. And kind of the practical application of that is whenever you are going through your life, you are to think of other people better than yourselves, you know, put their needs ahead of your own, and then where appropriate, you apply the appropriate action, which may mean that you listen or you encourage or you pray or you hold them accountable or you lift them up or, you, you know, you, you get on to them. And it's different things that we're called to do, to be gentle, to offer that soothing medicine or a soft wind. And as a church, we, as a, a body of believers and as the, the big C church in general, we are to walk with one another. We're to, to find out what's happening in other people's lives and each other's lives. And we're to actually come to each other's aids and, and provide that, that soothing medicine or that soft breeze to someone's soul whenever they need it. He goes on to talk about that we are to be patient. Now, how many of you want people to be patient with you? Go ahead, let's, let's see it. How many of you want, yeah, we all do, right? You know, have a little patience with me. But it's, it's hard to display that same patience to other people that we want people to express to us, don't we? I mean, it, it, just, it just is. It, it's like this. You're in the checkout line, the self-checkout line, because you think that's going to be faster, and the person in front of you is fumbling for their, change, for their change, and you're just like, come on, really, right? And then they're like, oh, they put on the item, and it goes down, and then the computer says it has to come back, and you're just like, ah, right? But when we get up there, if something goes wrong, like I can't find my, you know, shopper savers card, or I, you know, drop something, you just kind of smile at the people behind you and go, yeah, it's okay, I'm doing the best I can, right? Everything's fine, you know, just be patient with me. And, And that's what we say to people, right? Have a little patience. I'm doing the best I can. And we want people to demonstrate patience, but... It's hard for us to demonstrate patience to them. You've probably heard me say this before. I'd have more patience if you'd just hurry up, right? Paul is telling us here to be patient, but but how do we do that? I think we can find part of the answer in what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I think it's interesting and worth noting here that that Paul is writing to the church. So Paul is acknowledging the fact that even in the church, people can offend you and rub you the wrong way. They can make a decision or a choice that's different than the one you would have made. And as a result, there's offense or you can find fault or there's hurt feelings. And it just, it doesn't always go smoothly. And when those things happen, we have a choice to make. We can either choose to love or we can choose to not. We can choose to overlook the faults and forgive, or we cannot. Because honestly, it, it's not always easy to overlook faults and forgive, is it? It's a lot easier to point them out and say, see, you're wrong, right? We don't like it when people do that to us, but it's real easy to do that to other people. Here's what we're being called to. You see, the good news of the scripture is that Christ not only forgives us of our faults, he not only forgives me of my faults, but he's also transforming my faults. He's transforming my life. And and as I become more aware of my need for the grace and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that Christ gives to us as he demonstrated on the cross, whenever I realize that in my own life, I become more gracious and forgiving toward other people. And if you find yourself easily finding the faults in other people and, and quickly noticing what's wrong, then I have to ask you this question. What's your perspective of the cross? How are you viewing what Christ did for you? Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
Paul's telling us how we are to live. Let's, let's live. Let's do this. We are to forgive. The next thing Paul tells us is that we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 1 Peter chapter 1, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Love one another as if no one else has ever been clean from their transgressions. In 1 Peter, and you put them together and you look at the adjectives, verbs, and the verbs there. Here's what you come up with. We're to make every effort to bind yourself together with peace, show sincere love, and love deeply with all your heart. That's, that's a cool list. That's a tough list of things that we are called to do. And, and what I have found in, in my limited experience, of one of the things that starts to break down this unity is that whenever we as believers, we become stagnant in our relationship with the Lord, that we just kind of stop growing and, and when we become ineffective. It's when we gather together, a group of people gather together, and we simply do church together rather than living as a body of Christ. You see, the tendency... And the culture in which we live is, is to come together and experience this worship service and to talk to people, but we never truly know what's going on in each other's lives. Small groups can meet week after week after week, but if the prayer requests are limited to who's sick, where you're traveling, and how tired you are because you're so busy, there's really no connection that takes place. There's no life sharing. There's that lack of investment in each other. And when we do that, we rob each other of the opportunity to display that real and genuine love. And as a result, there's dissension and there's not the unity that, that there could be. The greatest enemy of love typically isn't hatred. I, I want to suggest that it's indifference. I think Satan wants to use indifference and apathetic, uh, and for us to be apathetic in our lives toward other people. He wants us to be so distracted by life and so busy that we simply do not have the time to invest or to care whether or not the relationships are healthy or whether or not they're suffering. Because where there is indifference and apathy, not far behind, you're going to find unresolved hurts, you're going to find disagreements, you're going to find gossip, and, and ultimately you're going to find division. And I think that's why Paul says to the believers, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So how do we do that? Well, I would venture to say that, that in our lives, we desire to have unity and to show love to other people uh, as a general rule. I can't, you know, looking out here today, I can't see anyone that I know that gets up in the morning and walks out the door and says, you know what? Today is the day that I'm going to try to alienate everyone I know, make everyone I know completely mad at me, and try to sever all relationships so that I can be isolated and alone. That's my goal for the day. Anybody had a day like that? That they sign up? Okay. No. We don't sign up for that. We don't do that. But isn't it true that we get up and we hurt other people? A lot of times it's unintentional, and yet we, we hurt other people. We make other people mad. I know that I do. I don't mean to, but it's just one of those natural gifts I, I guess I have. And what I found is, is this, that when that happens, when we realize that, when it's brought to our attention, we need to go back to the scriptures and read our life in light of the scriptures and find out what the scriptures are telling us about my motives and about my thoughts and about my attitudes and about my actions. And I, 
try to illustrate it like this. If you were to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, and you were to read through that beginning in verse 4, you would see all the words that are described that talk about what love is. And what I would encourage and challenge you to do is to take each of those words and look at your relationships to see if your relationships and your life is an accurate reflection of God's truth, of God's words. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says, love is patient. Ask yourself this question. How am I doing here? In my relationship with my spouse, how am I doing? In my relationship with my children, with each individual child, how am I really doing here? In my relationship with my mom or my dad, with, with my coworkers, with my boss, how am I doing? Am I being patient or am I not? How have I allowed impatience to dictate my response and my attitudes and my actions towards someone? Love is patient. Love is kind. Are you kind? Well, sure I am. Are you? If you really want to know the answer to that question, you need to ask a friend or ask your spouse and kind of get ready for the answer. Okay? Embrace yourself, maybe. Are you kind? It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. And I love that one because other versions say that it does not, love does not demand its own way. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You make the list and you walk through it and you ask yourself the questions, some tough questions, and say, how am I really doing here in displaying love toward other people? And I want you to encourage you to do what my friend Jed says that you should do. He says, let the word of God read you instead of you simply reading it. Let God's word reveal to you who you truly are and who he's calling you to be. So then as the Holy Spirit reveals to you inconsistencies between your life and his word, that's when we have to repent. We have to confess when necessary to another person. And we have to make every effort to deal with relationships in a healthy, productive manner that honors Christ and honors the other person. I really want to encourage you as you read through the scriptures to do that and to make that list and just ask God, God, how am I doing here? And let him truly reveal to you how you're doing. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7, Paul goes on and he says, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And down in verse 11 it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul, in this little part of this section, he says that each one of us has been given a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And then he only lists a few specific gifts that, that maybe seem out of context. I just want to highlight those gifts that he talks about real quick. First, he says there are apostles. Apostles were those that were selected by Jesus, and they were given, uh, they were inspired, and they were given authority to proclaim Christ to the world. Then he talks about prophets, and prophets were those was the prophet would just speak the truth about what was happening in the here and now. 
And he would allow God to speak wisdom and direction through the, the prophet so that the people would know what God would have them to do. And here's why that is important. Because when the early believers were gathered together, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the scriptures as we do today. They didn't have the New Testament roadmap of, of how to build a church and, and how to do these things. They relied upon the apostles and the prophets in order to provide leadership for their community. That, that's what they did, and that's how the church uh, was started there uh, through those people. And as they uh, reflected Jesus Christ and as they took the message that they'd received, we were able to, to build the church. And it's because of the men and women that were committed to Christ that taught us and, and showed us how we are to do uh, a community of believers as we gather together today. Paul mentions those, and he, he talks about how those are significant. He goes on and mentions evangelist. And an evangelist and maybe is one of those words that you're like, oh, that's a very negative connotation in your world. But it simply means one who proclaims the good news of the gospel. If you've ever proclaimed the good news, if you've ever told someone the good news about Jesus Christ, you were being an evangelist, whether you realized it or not. And then there's pastors. It's a common uh, Greek word for the word shepherd. It's used interchangeably in the New Testament for, for the words elder and overseer. And teachers, Paul mentions, whose responsibility is to instruct and to train. And so Paul is saying here that there are people who are gifted and are called to lead a local church. And here at, at PCC, we have a leadership team that currently consists of six people who, they love Jesus. They do. They also love people, and it's their role to be committed to the health and the vitality of this local body. One of the responsibilities of the leadership team is to follow Jesus as the lead pastor, the lead shepherd, the lead overseer of this church. We're also responsible, responsible for equipping God's people here in the local church to work out and to, to serve and to build up the body of Christ, and we do this by a couple different things. One of the things that we, we try to do is to take everything that is said and everything that we teach and everything that we build upon to make sure that it's accurate to Christ and accurate to the scriptures. At the same time that we do that, we try to stay engaged with the body of believers. Uh, it's our responsibility to prayerfully gauge the health and maturity of this local body, to make goals and to, to set goals and to set directions that will honor Christ and will draw more people into a saving relationship with him. And as we lead, the scripture is to be our guide in all things, not just for the leaders here, but, but for all of us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And everything that we do we try to take it back to the scriptures to see how it affects you and, and how it affects me. And not only how it affects us spiritually, but practically as well. Because what we're striving for as believers, as a community of believers, is to be unified in the faith. Unified as a body and unified in our relationship with the Lord. And to become mature followers in, of Christ Jesus. And when I look at our body of believers uh, as a whole... Uh, the reason I'm here is, is not only to try to tell people who do not yet know about Jesus about Jesus, but, but I also want to encourage you and challenge you who are believers to grow and to mature in your faith. And I have to tell you, just to be you know, really transparent and really honest, there are times when I, I look at some of your lives and I am really encouraged. 
I am really encouraged with, with how you're growing and how you're accepting and how you're reading God's word and how it's changing your life. And then there are other times, man, I'm, it's just really disappointing. Just honesty. Sometimes I look at, at people and you're in the same position now that you were a year ago. There's no more Christ-likeness in your life than just kind of stagnant and not growing. And please hear me out on this, okay? If you were to honestly evaluate your life today compared to a year ago, answer these questions. Do you love Jesus more? Are you more passionate about him and about his will for your life? Do you love your family more? Are you more patient? Are you more kind? Do you have joy and peace? Are you gentle and compassionate? Do you have more self-control? Men, do you lead your family spiritually the way God has called you to lead? When you take a gut-level, honest look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see? For me, again, to be just real transparent, there are areas of my life that I look at and go, hey, that's, that's better. That's good. Then there's areas of my life that I'm like, man, did I go the other direction in this? Am I not serving and honoring and, and, and loving the way that I was? What, what's, and I ask God to reveal that to me and, and, and surrender myself to the Lord so that I can allow him to transform my life because that's what I'm working toward and that's what I want to encourage you to work toward as well. Now remember, said this last week, but I want you to hear it for sure. This is not about behavior modification or sin management, Okay. It's not about just getting things under control. This is about our hearts and our minds and our lives being transformed by God. And that as each of us as individuals allow ourselves to be transformed by God, we as a community of believers will be transformed by God. And we can passionately commit to what God is calling us to do in our lives and in the life of the church. Paul tells us that as we do that, as we grow, as we mature... Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Paul is telling us kind of what we already know, especially in our society today, that there are a lot of different messages out there about who God is and about who Jesus is. And if you don't have your foundation in Jesus Christ, and I would also add, if you're not connected to a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, whether that be here at PCC or, or someone else, then you are more prone to get off track. In other words, and, and I'm going to zero in on this for just a minute, and then I'll get off my soapbox. Don't develop your theology from a TV program, okay? Now, I know a lot of people that watch the, the Bible series on the History Channel right before and leading up to Easter, and it was fine, but it wasn't exactly accurate to the Scriptures, all right? I've talked to people, and they, they say such things, hey, did you see that special on whatever channel? And I learned that Jesus was married, and that the disciples were really old men, and that Jesus was in on this whole faking his death thing. And I just have to say, look, the History Channel, Discovery Channel, National Geographic, movies that you watch, those can all be good entertainments. But if you want to know the truth about God and about Jesus, then put down the remote and pick up your Bible, Okay? Read his word, because that's where he's going to reveal himself to us, through his word. Yes, there's value in knowing what our culture thinks and what's out there, but if you want to know God, then read his word and study his word for yourself. Paul says in verse 15, and said, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him 
who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body is joined together, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and each part does its work. Paul, he's telling us that, that we need to do this together, that we all need to be in on this. He talks about how we have different gifts, and in Romans chapter 12, he, he spends some time talking about all those different gifts, and I'm not going to read that to you, but, but it's there. So I encourage you to read Romans 12, uh, also 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4, if you want to jot those down, where Paul talks about the different gifts that people have, and we are encouraged to use those gifts in order to build up the body of Christ. The writer of, of, Hebrew, of Romans uses this, this whole idea of a body being joined together and how we need each other and how we're dependent upon each other. And I want to suggest that one of the reasons that we need each other is so that we can encourage, lift up, support, and hold each other accountable all at the same time. We need to love each other. We need to be unified. We need to use our gifts and our talents in order to bring people into a more mature relationship with God. And so as a church, we can be all that God has designed us to be. So I want to challenge you, if you are not using your gift, to begin using your gift. How do you do that? Well, I guess I kind of have my view of this, and there's probably other views, but here's mine. If you're not serving, if you're not using your gift, the way that I want to encourage you to do that is just to try something. Dive in and try it. Find out what it is and, and just do it. And, and how do you know where to start? How do you get going in the right direction? Well, there are three questions you can ask yourself. The first one is this. What do you love to do? What is it that you love to do? You, you do it because you love it. No one has to ask you. You just love to do it. W what is that? Think about that for a second. What do you love to do? Second question associated with this, what makes you feel energized? What is it that just gives you that burst of energy? And yes, you may be tired, you may be exhausted, you may be ready to take a break, but when you're doing it and whenever you're, even when you're done, you're like, that was great. I feel energized. I feel good about this. Can I tell you that's the way the youth staff is? They went on a week of CIY camp and when they got back last night, they were happy, right? They got no sleep. They were with teenagers all week long. You're teenagers, some of you. And they loved it. They were energized by that. Third question. What do you do well? What is it that you do well? See, using your gift doesn't mean you have to be miserable. Serving doesn't mean you have to in, not enjoy what you're doing. What is it that you do well? Honestly, what do you do well? Because you're good at something. What is it? Find out what that is and then do that. And, and this is not a call for you to volunteer in the nursery unless that's your gift, right? Unless you, you love kids and you feel energized after you do it and, and you're good at working with kids. This is a call to, to use your gift all the time. You see, too often I think we think of, of serving in a church as I put in my one hour a week and I did it one Sunday a month and I served one Sunday a month for three months and I get to take nine months off and whew, I'm serving. But God's called us to use our gifts all the time. This is a moment-by-moment, a day-by-day moment, day use of our gifts in order to glorify God and to build each other up. And, and I kind of leave you with this question today. How has God gifted me to serve his body, to help the other parts grow? And if you get nothing else out of today, you can forget everything else, take that question, and would you wrestle with that? 
Because I think if you will wrestle with that question, if you'll honestly answer that question, it'll transform your life and it has the possibility and the potential to transform this community of believers and this community as a whole if each and every one of us are using our gifts to glorify God and to serve others. Church, family, I I just want you to know that that I really enjoy being here. My family and I, we we feel honored to be a part of this community of believers. We, We enjoy being here. I appreciate those of you who are so willing to serve. All you have to do is look at a week of kids camp and see that people are willing. You are willing to serve. I love the fact that you are so generous. I love the fact that you're willing to do what you can do when you can do that. I appreciate your forgiveness and your understanding of shortcomings and and the grace that you extend on a regular basis. Thank you for being that for each other, for me, for our family. God's calling us to take that and to move and to go and to demonstrate that to the world so that they could know the relationship, that saving relationship with the Lord. It's it's what he's calling us to do because by myself, I am incomplete. By yourself, you are incomplete. We need each other. The song at the very beginning, I love you, you love me. We're a great big family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? I need you. You need me. We're all a part of this family. And we're called to get along. We're called to hold each other accountable. We're called to take what God has done to us, through us, and in us to the world so that they too may have that relationship with him. The question for you is, how can you be a part of that? Will you be a part of that? And I want to suggest to you that it all starts in your relationship with the Lord. If you don't have a relationship with him, then you cannot share that relationship with other people and let it be effective. It starts with you being in that right relationship with the Lord. And if you've never experienced that right relationship, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you've wandered away from him and it's time to come back, then we would love to talk to you about that. If there's something going on in your, in your life that you just want someone to pray with you about, we would love to have the opportunity to share with you and to talk with you and encourage you. We believe that the word of God, when we read it, demands a response from us. And so we want to give you that opportunity to respond. Ian and the band, they're going to lead us in this time of response. And, and I'm going to invite you to stand. And if you want to talk to someone, you can make your way over to the cross. If you want to just sit and and pray, if you want to stand and sing, you do what you need to do in response to the Lord this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's sing.